Well, good morning. If you are new today, welcome to New Life Church. Glad that you could join us today, especially to my family, Uncle Peter and Esther. Um, I'm not sure if I should share these these stories, but um, there was a time when um, I was much younger and much more unruly than I am now. And I remember when um, my mother, who was struggling to discipline us as as a single mom, my sister and I, we had a big fight, and um, she called Uncle Peter to come to our home to speak some sense into us. And um, Uncle Peter came very, very graciously and, and met with us, and um, he's been a blessing to us. That's all I can say for, for many, many years. He's been a deacon of our church in um, South Africa um, since I can remember, and still serving there. Um, the body and still being a blessing. Um, I, was, um, I was Uncle Peter's son, best man at, at his wedding. Um, so we're just so thankful and grateful that um, you could be with us today and enjoy um, what the Lord has, has blessed us with, being part of this faith family this morning. So we're glad that all of you are with us. Uh, we are busy going through a, a series in Matthew chapter 23. So you can take your Bibles and turn there. The name of that series is called um, Hypocrisy and Grace. Hypocrisy and Grace. So last, though the week before last, we looked at three verses in Matthew chapter 23. And we saw that the, the Pharisees were the gatekeepers on the, the wrong side of the gate. Uh, they were keeping people away from the only door to God, and they were crushing the hope of, of all the, the people who were coming to the temple. At the same time, they were guilty of crushing the hope of those in society who were supposed to be looked after, um, the vulnerable. And one way they did this was through their, their blatant practice of greed. And Jesus pronounced a, a woe upon them, and he said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 14, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. So these hypocrites were known to enter into widows' houses under the pretext of prayer. And they would proceed to, to fleece the sheep and take money from them, all under the pretext of being spiritual. They told these poor women that they could earn God's favor by giving them a certain amount of money. And the widows who saw the Pharisees as spiritual leaders, they often obliged. They were not being helped by these Pharisees, but being financially defrauded. And today we're going to spend another sermon looking at this terrible sin of covetousness. I thought it needful that we don't just skip over these verses, but we dig a little deeper and that's what I want to do this morning. And Jesus describes this, this sin as idolatry. And today we're going to look in Luke chapter 12 um, as we study this a little further. And we see that Jesus describes this as the leaven of the Pharisees. He describes covetousness as the leaven of the Pharisees. So turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at this a little deeper this morning in Luke chapter 12, 
from verse 13 to verse 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, let's pray before we go into the word this morning. Father God, we pray this morning, please, that your spirit would teach us. We pray this morning that your spirit would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, and that he would open our hearts towards the, the preaching of the word this morning. Father, if we look deep enough and close enough and honestly enough, Lord, there is always some hypocrisy, Father, inside that we need to identify and that we need to agree with you that is sin and that we need to repent of. We cannot do this this morning without the help of the Spirit of God. So we pray, please, Lord, that He would do the work within us, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would comfort those that need to be comforted, and that you would save those, Lord, this morning that need to be saved. So we pray, Lord, please take control of us this morning and that um, you would be glorified today. We ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So while researching this message, I stumbled upon a website of an institute that promotes human rights and good governance in Afghanistan. And many of the articles were complaints about powerful local leaders who were exploiting their positions by um, habitually draining off aid that was intended for, for needy women. One of the, the articles said the following, one tribal leader had accepted 30 goats from an organization to help women without any other source of support. But instead of dividing them among poor women and widows, he gave them all to his relatives and the wives of powerful local leaders. The article went on to say, after that, the tribal leader took on a chicken farming project. He presented his daughters and wives as widows and distributed all the chickens among his entire family. He trampled on the rights of the poor and the, the needy woman. Well, this story, even though this happened in Afghanistan, I'm sure is not uncommon in our, our day and our age. You know, there's corruption, there's greed, and there's covetousness, things that we are all too familiar with. We've heard before stories of leaders who take advantage of their position of influence and power 
And sadly, this is not just a once-off occurrence. This is the story of the, the Pharisees. That's happened right here in the Bible over 2,000 years ago. And the Pharisees, under the disguise of spirituality, deceived and they devoured widows' houses. And the Lord accused these hypocrites of practicing greed. In Luke chapter 12, which we read, this is one of Jesus' most famous parables. And this is only a parable that Luke records. And it has to do with covetousness. But look at verse 1, if you would. Luke 12, verse 1, really sets a scene for us, helps us understand the context. And here Jesus is warning his disciples of the leaven of the, the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In verse 1, he says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. Notice there. Notice what's happening. All these people coming to hear Jesus, and Jesus takes the time to speak to his disciples first. And he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's important that you notice that Jesus is addressing his disciples here. Now these immediate, this immediate circle of men who, who had forsaken all to, to follow Jesus. These were men of rather modest means. And you may be wondering, why would Jesus address the issue of covetousness, and especially with his disciples? Especially at this, point, at this point, the disciples were not wealthy men. They didn't have a, a lot of, of money. So why in the world would Jesus need to address covetousness with them? Well, covetousness is important for us to think about. And it was important enough for Jesus to stop everything and to address his disciples and warn them about. Because it's a root sin. It's a root sin. It's a primary sin. We know it's one of the, the Ten Commandments that Jesus warns us about. And covetousness is one of those sins that, that leads to all other kinds of, of sins. At some point, people get to the place where they believe that what they, they don't have, but that they want is so important that it doesn't matter how they get it as long as they get it. So the very desire for, for something that you don't have leads you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. Sinning. It leads to other sins. And covetousness is a root sin and it leads to all other horrible sins and horrible pain. And Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Paul identifies it as idolatry because it's a root sin. It's a root sin that leads to all other types of sin. Because we're worshiping stuff, we're worshiping things. We're worshiping created things and not the Creator. Stuff is not God. Things are not God. 
And when you're worshiping anything that isn't the one true God, you're committing idolatry. So covetousness becomes a way that even believers are tempted to commit idolatry. You don't have to have a, a statue in your, in your home, a graven image to commit idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because we worship things and we're not worshiping God. And if it's not removed from our hearts, if it's not removed from the desires and from our, our soul, it will end up ruining us. It will end up hurting us. And so for all these reasons, it's important that, that Jesus would address the issue of covetousness. So my first point this morning is the warning against covetousness. And we see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 15. Let me just give you some background. Jesus had been teaching his disciples about the providence of God, and he had been teaching them not to fear man, but rather to fear God, so that they would boldly confess him before the world, so they would not be ashamed before the world. And he urged his disciples to acknowledge him before all other people. And he said that he would reward them by acknowledging them before the angels in heaven. And in the middle of this amazing address, in the middle of this, this little glimpse of, of heaven, this, this man raises up his, his hand and, and he says, Okay, I have a question. I have a question. My question is about my family inheritance. This guy has, has not been listening to a word that Jesus has been saying. And the whole time he's been thinking about this, this family problem, this family dispute. And this man was preoccupied with the things of this world. Is it not true that our, that our thoughts often reveal what is in our hearts? Our thoughts often reveal our preoccupations. What are the things that you dwell upon in your mind the most? Those are the things that are occupying your heart, isn't it? We see what's occupying the hearts of this man here. Look at what Jesus says in, in response to this man's question to him about the inheritance. He turns to his disciples. Look at verse 15. He says, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's a very interesting exchange here. It's a very interesting response here. Now this man says to Jesus, look, we're having an inheritance dispute in our family and um, this man wants Jesus to settle it. He doesn't care about the, the wonderful providence of God. He doesn't really care about confessing Him before the world. He doesn't really care about um, the sovereignty of God. He's just interested in his family disputes. Now, this was not uncommon or wrong for a Jewish person to go to a rabbi and to ask them to settle a dispute. They would often do that. They would go to rabbis and they would ask them to, to settle the disputes similar to to this type of dispute that was happening. And it made sense. The rabbis, they, they knew God's word. 
The rabbis were men of integrity. They were supposed to be. And the rabbis were concerned. They should have been concerned about the, the spiritual well-being of those who were part of their, their synagogue. And they were people who could be trusted to, to mediate, to arbitrate. And so it made perfect sense that the people would go to this rabbi and, and ask for, for help. And then they saw Jesus as a good teacher. Um, then they, that could not be denied. But think about this for a moment. This man is in the presence of Jesus. He doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He just simply sees him as a, as a good teacher. He's in the presence of the, the Son of God. He could have asked Jesus anything. And the one thing he wants Jesus to do is settle a family dispute over inheritance, over money. What does that say about this man's soul? Well, the very question shows what the man really thought was important. What was in his thoughts revealed his preoccupation. The very question shows that the man had really upside down what was, what was important. And Jesus, the, the author and the, the finisher of our faith, Jesus, our, our mediator, Jesus, our Savior, is in His presence. And He wants a family dispute over money to get sorted out. It looks kind of petty in the light of who Jesus was. And this is exactly the point that Jesus is making to His disciples. Look at the big picture. Look at what is important, not at what is not important. And after the man asks his question, Jesus doesn't even deal with the question. He, he uses this opportunity to teach something far greater. He turns to his disciples and he says to them in verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness. Well, the word translated as covetousness can also be translated as greed. And it refers to, in the dictionary, it says a strong desire to acquire more and more material possessions or to possess more things than other people have, whether we need it or not. That's greed. So greed is covetousness. Covetousness is greed. Let's not um, mince the words here. Notice the sin that Jesus identifies here is not wealth, it's not possessions, but rather greed. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 tells us, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is evil. It says the, the love of money. This is the greed. This is the covetousness that Jesus is addressing here. And Jesus is highlighting really a violation of the Tenth Commandment, which tells us in, in Exodus 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The Bible also warns against covetousness in many other places. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. So there's a problem here in the heart of this man. 
And the reason Jesus warned against covetousness and greed is because our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And the word abundance in verse 15, in this sense, means surplus or a super, superfluity of stuff, a surplus of, of stuff. And I think this is a very, a very relevant message for us living in the, the UAE, where there seems to be an abundance of, of stuff, where people are not just happy with having a car, they, they want a shiny car, a big car, a fast car, a newer car. Abundance. We're not content with what we have. This desire applies to, to all of us, whether we are rich or whether we are poor. It's not just for, for wealthy people. Now, the rich people, they, they are tempted to want even more of what they already have. While the poor people, on the other hand, they, they're tempted to want things that they do not have. So this is not just for wealthy people. Every one of us needs to be on guard against covetousness in our hearts. Greed in our hearts. Covetousness is a, a great desire for the things of this world. Stuff. It's an excessive love for the things of this world. It's a very subtle sin. And it's very difficult to identify, even in ourselves. I mean, there are not many people who will, who will walk up to you and say, Please pray for me. I'm struggling with the sin of covetousness. I don't think I've ever had someone walk up to me and, and say, please, pastor, pray for me. I'm, I'm greedy. I've never heard that before. It's a very subtle sin. But covetousness is more common than we care to admit. In fact, I don't know of a sin more persistent than covetousness. But it's still very subtle and very difficult to detect. Secondly, covetousness is a dangerous sin. It's a dangerous sin because it tempts us to hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is trying to help his disciples see here. Covetousness tempts us to hypocrisy. You know, we say that our hearts are, are set on things above, when in fact our desires are, are set on the things below. And we try and hold these things together and, and over time we, we get good at disguising our real hearts and pretending to be something or someone that, that we're not. And we end up putting on those masks that we've learned about, covering up ourselves. Covetousness is a dangerous sin because it's an enemy to grace. We're no longer satisfied in Christ. We no longer trust Him to provide for what we need. And instead, we, we want more. We want things that we don't really need. And we start to covet. And when our hearts are set on something we don't have but we want, we, we begin to reduce our pleasure and our joy in what, in what really counts. And we become preoccupied. We become obsessed on that which is of, of less value and eternally of, of no importance. We tend to worship the things that God has created 
rather than worshiping the one who has created them, becomes an idol. And so Jesus gives us a parable here, a very famous parable. We see the parable of covetousness in verse 16 to 21. To warn us against all covetousness. Look at verse 16. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Now you may say, Lord, why would you have told these relatively poor disciples a story about a fabulously wealthy man who has hoarded all of his, his wealth? Why, why would you tell the disciples this story? Well, because what would... One of their temptations have been, one of their temptations might have been to think, well, you know, Lord, if only I could have what he has, I would be content. If only I could have what he has, I would be satisfied. Perhaps one of their temptations might be to think, well, a, a person like that wouldn't have any trouble with covetousness. But the point is, whether you're rich or poor, we all struggle with covetousness. And Jesus shows this man who has a lot. But he takes his joy from, from the stuff, from the, the material things. And not from the riches of God. And this farmer really represents all of us. All human beings who are seduced by all kinds of greed. Now, whether we're a doctor, whether we're an engineer whether we are secretary, whether we are professor, whether we are teacher, whether we are lawyers or nurses, or even students. This represents all of us here. God has blessed this farmer, although he, he failed to recognize it. God had sent just the right amount of rain. God had sent just the, the right amount of, of sunshine. God had kept all of the, the insects off the the field, so that the farmer had a, a massive crop. He had, he had a wonderful harvest. And the farmer did not cheat anyone. He didn't abuse his employees. He was wonderfully successful in the eyes of the world. But he was not satisfied. He was not satisfied. And joy and satisfaction do not come from an abundance of things. Let me just make that point clear. Joy and satisfaction does not come from an abundance of things. But the man did not recognize God's provision. And failing to see this, he, he fell prey to a false sense of security. He thought to himself, what shall I do? Look at verse 17. For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. So he decided to build new barns, larger barns. That seemed to be the, the logical thing. It was a good idea, it seemed to be. However, the, the, the danger in what was missing was the thought of stewardship. There was no understanding that he was a steward of God's possessions. He thought all of this belonged to him. He deserved this. He 
He was greedy. He wanted more. And he was not willing to share God's blessings with others. The problem was not thinking about the future. That was all good and well. I mean, we all have retirement annuities. That, that's not the issue here. The issue is he was not willing to share God's blessings. And the problem with this man is that he was selfish. He was self-absorbed. And all he could think of was himself. He had no thought for God. He had no thought for other people. And the rich man went on and said, look at verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. One commentator that I, that I read, he made a, a wonderful point here. He said that this is the only place in the Bible where retirement is spoken of. And here it is in the context of disapproval. Of course, the Bible recognizes aging and slowing down, but retiring to a life of self-indulgence finds no favor with God. It's a wonderful insight. He goes on to say, A retirement that lives for self is unbiblical and immoral. A retirement that lives for self is unbiblical and immoral. Now maybe this would disturb you. Maybe you've been living here in the UAE so that you can store up money so that you can retire and buy a yacht and go collect shells for the rest of your life. I don't know. But that's a selfish way to think of God's possessions. It's a selfish way to think of stewardship of the blessings God has given to you. The problem is not with retirement. The problem is with retirement that lives for yourself. In India, we used to have a, a couple, a retired couple in their early 70s that used to come and visit us every single year. Um, he was a retired pastor, um, still loved the Lord and wanted to serve the Lord. And he would come every year to our church and 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 encourage the church and we would arrange a pastor's conference and he would minister to the pastors. But he was, he was, he was telling us the story. He was given a, a house by one of his members in the, in, in the church who had died and she had given this inheritance to him. She had no other family and he inherited this fantastic house in the UK. And for the first time in their whole lives, they had a, a home and it was a, a big property worth lots of money but what they did is they sold that home and they bought a small little flat a one-bedroom little flat that was easy to manage that they could lock up that they could that they took the rest of the money and they would use that money to buy airplane tickets so that they could travel around the world to minister to the body of Christ in different parts of the world I thought to myself what a wonderful testimony of stewardship. We're not wanting to use that money for their own glory, but wanting to use that money for the glory of God. I mean, what a wonderful thought of retirement. 
And Philip Ryken, another commentator, says the following about the rich man in the parable. He says, the man thought that he had a storage problem. But what he really had was a, a spiritual problem. He was an atheist. Strong words. But I think very correct words. This man lived his life as if God did not exist. His life revolved around himself. Perhaps he went to church. Perhaps he did the religion thing. He may have even given financially some of his, his money to, to the offering plate. But his life, his priorities, and his actions did not reflect that he, he lived in a right relationship with God. Before we continue to criticize this rich man, let's examine our own hearts this morning. What about yourself? Do you live your life for yourself? Are you living your life to gather riches for your retirement? Or are you living your life for God? Are you trusting God? Or are you trusting yourself? Listen to what God said to the rich man in verse 20. Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So God calls him a fool because he lived his life as if there's no God. The man thought that he would live for, for many more years. He thought even that was in his control. But that very night, God called his soul to meet with him. And the rich man made all his plans for this, this world. He probably had the best medical plan that you could think of. That didn't help him. Nothing he did prepared him for eternity. He lived his life for this world, but he did not live his life for eternity. And Jesus ends his parable with a practical application. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So a fool lays up treasure for himself. The Bible says he is not rich toward God. But the wise person lays up treasures in heaven and is rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? We are rich toward God when his glory is our highest goal. Jesus says, be rich towards God. That's the kind of wealth I want all my disciples to have. Value the, the riches of God above all other things. He's speaking to his disciples here. Remember this, folks. Value what you have in Christ. Value what you have in the, the gospel. Value what you have in the lavish grace of God that's been poured upon you. Value it more than the things of this world. Value it more than stuff. Long for God. Long for grace, long for the, the glories of heaven, more than what the world can offer you. That's been rich toward God. And the first step to overcoming this 
idolatry is to recognize that the gifts that God has given to you are from God, first and foremost. And they're far greater than anything else that this world could give you. Don't look at the rich people and think how blessed they are. Look at yourself and see the salvation that you don't deserve, but by God's grace has been imputed towards you. That is rich towards God, folks. Do we care about those gifts more than these other things that we see around us? Until we do, we, we will struggle. We will be vulnerable with this sin of covetousness. Until we understand that this grace we have received is not grace that we deserve, but is a gift of God. If we don't understand this, we don't value this, we will always fall into the sin of covetousness. This is a lie. The lie that life consists in the abundance of possessions. It's a lie from the devil, folks. And we can be tempted to look around us and see these big houses, see these fancy cars, see the wealth and think, wow, this is what life is about. This is a lie. To know Jesus Christ and to live for Him, that is what life is about, folks. The Bible says that Jesus is the life. The Bible says that true life is to know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that to live is Christ. One commentator tells a story of a conversation between an ambitious youth and, a, and an older man who, who knew life. And the young man says to the older man, I'm going to learn my trade and the older man says, and then what? And the young man says, well, then I'm going to set up business. And the older man replies, and, and then what? And the younger man says, well, then I'm going to make my, my fortune. And the older man says, and then what? And he says, well, I suppose I shall grow old and retire and live on my money. And the older man looks at the younger man and says, and then what? The young man, a little worried and anxious, says, Well, I suppose then I will die. And the older man then says, And then what? And then what? Remember, folks, it's appointed to us once to die, and then the judgment. How are we going to live our lives? That's the question. Are we going to live our lives accumulating things of this world that will, that will rust, rust and be destroyed? Or are we going to live our lives rich toward God? That's the question. Are we going to live our lives for eternal value and significance? Or are we going to live our lives that, that won't matter because rust and moth will eat those things that we've been collecting? What will happen to you when you die? What will you say to the Lord at that day of judgment when you stand before Him? And this passage demands that we look at our hearts, that we discern 
where our temptations are, especially in this area. My goal is not to simply create a vague sense of, of guilt for us to feel guilty about. And then just to continue going on about the same way that we are. I want to be practically helpful to you this morning. So what are some questions you can ask yourself to do, to do an account of your heart in this area? Here's a few questions. Let me just suggest a few. Ask yourself this morning, am I content with my condition? Now we all know that we're supposed to say, we all know what we should say. We're supposed to say, we're just fine, we're just fine, we, we're totally content. But let me put it another way. Do you think the condition you are in right now is the best condition that you could be in? Are you so content with the condition that God has you in this life that you say, Lord, this is the best condition that I could be in? Or deep down in your heart, are you thinking, Lord, if I were in charge, things would be better. Lord, if I were in charge, in fact, I know better. I know what I need. And you should be giving me this and you should be giving me that. If I were in charge, I wouldn't have me here where you have me right now. I know better than you. Are you content in the condition that you find yourself in? Second question, do you rejoice in the prosperity of your neighbors or do you resent it? Do you get envious when you see others who have things that you don't have? How do you respond? Are you able to rejoice that they have what they have? Lord, I'm so glad that my brother in Christ has something that I don't have. I just love it that he's able to enjoy these things? Or deep inside, do you resent that? Do you resent that they have those things? Last question. Let me flip the question around and ask this question another way. You know the Lord's given you things, but you're not content with those things. Do you want what you have, or are you discontent with what you have? Do you envy or grieve over what others have? Are you generous? Are you generous? Are you generous with what you have? Do you realize it's enough? What do you do with the surplus that, that God has given to you? Does it show in how you, you give to others? Does it show in how you give to the, the kingdom of God? Are you generous with the blessings that God has given to you? And is there any possession, any possession of yours that, that has a hold on you, that you do, want, you do not want to release? And those questions can reveal a lot about your, your heart. It can reveal a lot about the struggles that you have with covetousness. Jesus says to his disciples, Jesus says to all of us this morning, be on guard against covetousness. My last question this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ savingly? Do you know him 
as your Savior. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you are blind in your sin, if you are worshiping created things and not the Creator, you need to ask God to grant you forgiveness this morning. You need to put your eyes upon the one who has created you, not on the things of this world. Turn from your idolatry. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you live for Jesus Christ? Do you rejoice in Jesus? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Remember, covetousness is the leaven of hypocrisy. Don't let it interfere in your life if you're a Christian this morning with your walk with God. And be on guard against it. Don't let it hurt you. Don't let it destroy you. But use the blessings God has given you for His glory. And be satisfied and content in Christ this morning. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to cling to the things that moth and rust will destroy and corrupt and that thieves can come in and steal. Help us, Lord, to become a people that are in love with you and are captivated by Christ and that are grateful and thankful for the grace of the gospel. Help us to remember that even though Jesus was rich, He became poor for our sakes. That we ourselves would become generous. That we would enjoy whatever You have given us. But that we would not be owned by it. That we would not become slaves to it. That we would enjoy whatever You have given us, but that we would not value it more than You. And that we ourselves would become generous people because you are generous. That we would be a giving people because you gave your son. Lord, we want our neighbors to, to see you. We want to reflect your grace to those around us. And we know, Lord, that will not happen if we are greedy people. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from being caught up in this this materialistic culture that is in love with stuff. Keep us, Lord, from being infected by this materialism. We want our neighbors to see that we're different. We want our neighbors to see that we don't care about these things. What we care about is your kingdom. We care about your gospel spreading across the, the earth to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that you help us to use our, our money, Lord, for this very purpose. That we would invest in eternal things. Lord, that we would invest in your kingdom. That we would invest in the spread of the, the gospel. Everything belongs to you anyway, Lord. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to you, Lord. Everything we have has been given to us by you, Father. Help us to be good stewards, Lord, of these blessings. And not greedy, selfish, carnal, worldly people. 
Lord, we need your help. Help us to be counter-cultural, Lord. Help us to be different, that you would receive the glory from our lives. Help us not to be hypocrites, Lord, saying that we desire what you want and instead desiring the things of this world. Please, Lord, change our hearts for your glory. Help us, Lord, to live our lives that will make a difference for your glory. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.